Hey everybody, what's up and welcome to Animates. I'm Paige. And I'm Chris. And today we will be continuing for the third episode in a row, our discussion of Adventure Time. Which is turning out to be quite the beast when we started. I did not know that we get into seasons with upwards of 40 plus episodes. I thought it was all going to be like the first four seasons. So that has been part of the reason it's taken a little bit longer. Yeah, seasons five and six are the longest seasons of Adventure Time by a pretty significant margin. Uh, Season five is 52 episodes and season six is 43 episodes where the next longest seasons are only 36 episodes long. I have to wonder why that was. I don't know. I'm not sure because season five is almost like a double season compared to the first two or three seasons, which were only 24 episodes. Maybe it was during that. I don't know. We've seen that sometimes as the show gets into its middle age, like literal middle age, that Mm -hmm. the show sort of gets this comfortable rhythm going where Mm -hmm. they do like really long episodes with more filler when it's plot based. So there's a lot of stuff that happens to characterize characters, but it's not what I would call plot relevant. Yeah, a lot of what it does, especially in seasons five and six, is it'll drop like one or two episodes that have a lot of plot stuff going on. And then it'll just kind of like leave it there to stew for a while and come back again later. And we get a lot of I wouldn't even say the other stuff is filler because there's a lot of characterization and emotional development that goes on in these two seasons. Maybe it's one of those things where they wanted to make sure that if the show's like it was at its height of popularity, they wanted to get it numerous enough to do successful syndication. And they just were like, we're going to order just a ton of episodes right now just to get them all done. And then you get to seasons nine and ten, and those are only 13 and 16 episodes long, respectively. You know? Wow, really? Yeah, they're really brief. They just kind of like did some like important stuff and like wrapped it up. What's interesting is that um, they in seasons five and six have already begun to move pieces into place for the end game scenario. Like there's a few things that seem kind of small, but actually become very important in the final season. I have a feeling Maja shows back up. Um, I honestly don't remember if Maja shows back up. Um, She got got put into a coma. Yeah. And the psychic tandem war elephant took her away. I did not expect that to come (laughs) back up. I, I, you know what? I think it might not. That's I can't amazing. remember, though. That's amazing. If it doesn't, if they just leave it, I think that's an excellent choice. <laughs> right. It would just feel so like. Argh. Yeah. So I think like a few really big, obviously big plot things happen in these two seasons. So let's just like kind of quickly go through those big things that happen and um so we so we've gotten out of the way and maybe some things that don't seem as big but come back later and then we can spend some time talking about 
the characterization and emotional growth that happens during these seasons. Yeah, sounds good to me. Yeah, so to start off season two, if we remember at the end of season four, the Lich tricks Finn and Jake into helping him open a dimensional portal to the uh, dimension of the Wishmaster Prismo. And the Lich wishes for the annihilation of all human life. All and life. Just then all life in the universe. Yes, yes. Sorry, not all human life. The annihilation of all life in the universe. And so Finn wishes that the Lich had never existed. And that has consequences. Basically, what ends up happening in season five, the very beginning, is that Finn now leaves Prismo's wish chamber and is in his own wish-altered dimension of reality while Jake has not yet made a wish, so he stays with Prismo while all this is happening. So basically, we see this world where the Lich never existed, and the reason why is because Simon stopped, used his ice powers to stop the mutagenic bombs from <clears throat> hitting Earth, like hitting the ground, and he died. But still, but society still collapsed. Just magic didn't really come into play in the way that it did in this. And there are still human beings and everything. So Finn is just a regular human being with two regular parents and a little sibling. And Jake is just a regular dog. And Marceline is still alive, but she seems really old because she's only half demon and not a vampire. And essentially what ends up happening is that... Um, through a series of events, Finn in this reality puts on the ice crown, immediately goes insane, starts coating the world in ice. And as a consequence, the mutagenic bomb goes off anyway. And Jake in that world then becomes the lich. Or lich uh, adjacent. Like, I don't, it's always felt very, he's not technically the lich. He's just something like the lich. It's he's yeah, it, he's not the lich as we know him in this reality, but it is a lich, you know, so it's almost like the lich was the lich has to exist like as this force of pure like destruction and death, you know, there there can't be a reality in which the lich never comes to be, you know. It's like a destiny thing, right? Which later um, comes into play with the comet. And the yes. four elementals, but that yes, for sure. <laughs> um, so how they get out of this is that Prismo, who's really cool and voiced by voiced by Kumail Nanjiani, basically tells Jake like, "All of my wishes have a monkey's paw thing, and you got to word it really carefully." So Jake ends up wishing for uh, Jake wishes to change the Lish's wish to like. You know, Finn being safe and them going back home to Ooh or so, um, not that, not exactly that, but basically that. And so that pulls Finn back out of this altered reality and back into his own reality. But we see at later times, like that dimension still exists, you know? It's just that Finn isn't trapped in it. Finn still exists in this dimension. Uh, and so. It's then really, that's that the the lich like the lich is suddenly 
the Lich we find out now is just trapped in Prismo's. We find out at the end of the season, he's just there in Prismo's wish chamber because his primary function is to cause mass death. And he can't do that in the wish chamber. So he's just like in stasis. And that becomes important at the end of the season. We find out that the monkey's paw for the lich's wish is Jake changing his wish. Because like Prismo at the very, like he's like, yeah, Jake, all my wishes have a monkey's paw effect. And so Jake wishes for the lich's wish to change, which sends Finn and Jake back in time. And they, Mm -hmm. they see the lich in the wish room make the wish and then his wish changes and <laughs> Prismo looks at Jake and says see that Jake monkey's paw and it's, <laughs> it, it, it tickled me the first time that I saw it because yeah it's good uh, Prismo's a great character yeah they really pulled the strings to bring him back later on they did yeah whole, later that's on a whole nother um, so okay let's try and like go in order a little bit while we get these plot things out of the way um so then, which, by the way, this is all insane. Like, there are alternate dimensions. There are these cosmic be- like beings that can alter reality, you know. So that's, like, another thing that we're now dealing with. <laughs> it's, like, things that can happen, they really, you know. They really bring space travel in here. Like, very, yes. Like, yes. like, space, especially season six, it's, like, there's so much alien stuff. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess the next thing that happens after they go back home to Ooh is that Lady Rainicorn gives birth and Jake becomes a dad to five Rainicorn babies. Um, and he tries really hard to be a good dad, but he has like extreme anxiety. And then it turns out that Rainicorn children age super fast. And so like they very rapidly don't even need him anymore. <laughs> yeah. And then he never really had a chance to make an impact. Yeah, I, like, get frustrated in later episodes where the kids are kind of, like, talking trash on their dad and about him not being around or whatever. I'm like, you guys grew up in, like, a day and a half. What do you want from him? Kim Kilwan. Kim Kilwan's the fucking worst. Yeah, he kind he is voiced by this actor whose name I forget, who's in a bunch of stuff as a stern, straight talker. Yeah, he's Kevin on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yeah, Kevin. That's the dude. Um, Mm -hmm. He's also the lawyer on Parks and Rec. And Mm -hmm. he's also in The Good Place as Sean. But anyway, so there's... That happens. Um, What else happens? Girlfriend issues happen. Uh, Yeah, so like... Finn fucks up in a bad way. <laughs> he, okay, he uses his girlfriend to get off. It's fucked. It's so fucked up because, like, it's very clearly that, like, so he sees Flame Princess get into a fight with Ice King and she kicks his ass and he's clearly, like, he's turned on. And then that night he has something that I can only describe as a sex dream. You know, um, where like Flame Princess is there and she's shooting fire straight at his crotch and like his whole crotch is on fire, but like it feels good, you know, and 
he's like, damn, I want to have that dream again. So he starts like coaxing Ice King and Flame Princess into fighting so that he can have this like dream again. And then it turns out the Cosmic Owl was the whole there the whole time. So but he can't hear what he's saying. So then Jake does the thing that he's done before, which is like Cosmic Owl dreams are important. You have to have it again. So Blake, uh, sorry, Finn continues to manipulate Flame Princess to fight with Ice King more. And it gets completely out of hand. And the Ice King, go ahead. Number one, Finn has a voyeur kink. Yeah, clearly. Number two, it's violence based. Number three, he manipulates his girlfriend into fighting the Ice King and she gets really hurt. Yeah, she gets like put out. So it's gross. And I watched it and I it was so thinly veiled. I was shocked by how thinly veiled the whole episode was. I know, right? Usually it's behind metaphor or slang or or something, but it's just like, no, she's making his crotch hot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, Jesus. She's burning and, his and then butt. It, it, it turns out, like, when he, like, gets knocked out and, like, has the dream again, what the Cosmic Owl was saying was, you blew it. Um, Because, yeah, he, he blew it. He just, like... He manipulated her and like put her into a dangerous cons- like situation without her informed consent for his own personal gratification. And that's really fucked up. And he sees that it's gotten out of hand and he immediately tells her and says he's sorry. And she's like, oh, my God, what? You did what? Like, I thought you were the one person that I could trust and you manipulated me and used me and lied to me and I need. I need time to be by myself. And just the end of the episode is Finn is like, but I said I was sorry. And the thing is like, but that's not good enough. You know, that's kind of the point. And I think it's actually a really good lesson. It's like, no, saying you're sorry isn't good enough in in something like this. Sometimes like something, sometimes nothing's good enough for something like that. And that ends up being the case. Like, he and Flame Princess are done. They don't get back together. And she goes and does her own thing. And she tells him, you know, pretty soon after, she's like, I'm fine. Like, I'm not mad about it anymore. Um, You can, like, come hang out if you want. But, like, we're just, we're never going to be together in, in that way again. And it really crushes Finn. He has a very hard time moving on from it and it takes a really really long time tell me, um, but uh, the thing is like it's like well 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 if it isn't the consequences of my actions tell me tell me a little bit about how finn experiences his breakup page what so he does he tries to like start like macking on bubblegum again and <laughs> going back to the going back to the old crush a a time honored tradition yeah and he's totally being a little creep about it and bubblegum is just being like what are you fucking do like stop like i'm trying to deal with all of this like crisis situation at like the castle of lemon grab where things are fucked up this is serious and you are trying to treat everything like a little boy game 
you know, and I can't, I can't do that. And it hurts Finn's feelings at first, but then he realizes, you know, maybe age differences do matter. So I'm not going to try and like mess with bubblegum anymore. And then he's just kind of like. Depressed. Yeah. Depressed. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I think I know what you're thinking of and what you're thinking of doesn't happen until after he loses his arm. And it's more oh, of a loses his right. arm issue right. than a flame right. princess breakup issue. But yeah, he's just like depressed. Like when I, like he, whenever would, he sees flame princess, um, you know, it, it, it messes him up. He keeps like multiple times. He's like, maybe we can get back together. And it's like, no, dude, you can't get back together. And it really fucks with him. I would argue that it's like everything crushes down on him. And this is a, this is a part of it, a part of it. Yeah, it's like this this was bad and he was having a hard time getting over it. And then after everything that happens at the end of season five and beginning of season six, he's just in a bad, bad way, you know, because basically at the end of season five, we find out about the Lich being trapped in sort of stasis in that in in uh, the Lich's in Prismo's wish chamber. And this all happens because the ghost of Billy tells Finn that his human dad is alive and at the Citadel. And so they talk to Prismo and they find out the Citadel is a place for like, what is it? Is it, is it interdimensional criminals or something? People who commit dimensional crimes or something is the way they put it. Yeah, the worst of the, like, these guys are the pits. Yeah, they're the worst in the entire universe. And that's where your dad is, Finn, and you can't go there. There's no way to get there except for by committing one of these crimes. And they're like, well, like, help us do that because we can get there because I bet my dad's the warden there or whatever. So Prismo's like, go hop through this asteroid field and find this sleeping old man and bring him in here and don't wake him up. And then they do that. And Prismo's like, okay, wake him up because Prismo is a dream being had by this old man floating in space. <laughs> um, and the crime that they're committed, they commit is stealing a wish master. But actually what ends up happening is that presents the lich with an opportunity and he's not in stasis anymore. So he like kills kills like old man Prismo, the one having a dream. So he can't even fall back asleep and dream of Prismo again. And so the like Citadel creatures grab the Lich and Jake and Finn tag along. And basically all of the prisoners there are in some kind of like crystal goo. And somehow the Lich's powers allow him to just begin like melting it. And, like, freeing all of these, like, worst criminals in the universe. And he's going to use them for his own ends. And lo and behold, one of them is Finn's dad. Yeah, so Finn's dad clearly has the capacity to recognize Finn. But just, like, runs away from Finn at any fucking chance he gets. Yeah, it's so fucked up. Like, as soon as he starts talking with his dad, you're immediately like, oh, this guy's a piece of shit. Oh, no. Poor Finn. 
this guy is a piece of shit. Finn is not emotionally equipped to deal with a fast-talking pop. No, not at all. Um, And then we get this great moment with the Lich where the Lich is like, fall. And like everything just like stops. And he's doing one of his spooky Lich speeches. But then it turns out there's this weird, like, Finn's dad gets all of the flesh removed from part of his leg by some kind of laser or something. And they rub this goo on it and it just immediately like refleshes and it's good as new. So what happens is the lich is a completely a skeleton. And when he's giving his scary lich speech, they accidentally touch him with some of the goop and he becomes infleshed. And then he he's not in, the lich anymore. Yeah, he enlivens. Yeah. He becomes this very cute, like, pudgy, giant creature sweet who we pea. come to know as Sweet Pea, sweet who pea. is very interesting. Um, but while this is happening, Finn's dad's trying to bail, and Finn's like, no, I'm not okay with this. Like, you're not going to bail. So he's, like, trying to hold him on as he's trying to fly away with a spaceship and, like, He's like holding on to something else and holding on to the spaceship with an arm and like the grass sword comes out and like wraps around it. And he ends up with this giant like grassy arm as it pulls away and pulls away and pulls away. And then his arm just pops off. His arm's gone now. You know, uh, he, he's left with half an arm and a flower growing out of the nub. Yeah, a flower growing out of the nub of his arm. So mm-hmm. they they eventually managed to get back to ooh and that's when finn has depression yeah it's really bad like he doesn't have an arm he's having a hard time adjusting to have an arm not having an arm um all of the princesses are trying to donate him an arm and none of them are working properly so jake gives him the advice to like look inside like your heart you know, um, and see what you really want. And Finn's like, I want to go find my dad and rip off his arm and take it for him, from him, for myself. And so he begins to build a tower into space so he can go find his dad and rip off his arm. And it's so fucked up. It's not good. He does manage to get into space. Which is really hilarious when he knocks down the tower because it, like, crushes part of the Candy Kingdom. Yeah, it's and fucked later, up. They reference it later. I They're know. like, Jake's like, should we do this, that, or the other to help people? And he's like, nah, not after that knocking my tower over on the castle, biz. A lot of folks got squished. <laughs> like, so it's like, and, you know, Jake and PB are having an argument about this because... Jake's like, he's working on his feelings. It's healthy. And PB's like, this is not healthy. This is not in any way healthy, you know? So PB helps him work through that anger. So where he no longer wants to go find his dad and rip off his dad's arm. But then he's just super depressed. And there's this this strange episode where there's a bee who falls in love with his arm flower. And she wants, because his arm flower is all wilted and sad, and he's been told it's because he's that way, and the flower will be better if he's better. So this bee loves his flower and wants to help him feel better, and he decides at a certain point that maybe, since he feels nothing, he says, maybe the way to feel something is to go make out with a bunch of princesses. 
And by make out, he actually just means kiss. Um, but he just goes around like going on dates with and kissing like every princess in the land. And he still doesn't feel anything. And I think it's actually a really like honest depiction of hypersexuality as a consequence of depression. Which is interesting um, because many, many people report like depression resulting in a like just like killing one sex drive. But, yeah. But, but other people have the opposite effect where depression will create increased libido and sometimes promiscuity. And often I think the reason why um, I have personal experience is that it just is like you don't really feel anything at all and you certainly don't really feel anything good and but sex feels good and it feels like close to other people and it feels like a stand in for like emotional connection. So you want sex more because you want to feel something and you want to have good feelings and you want to be able to feel connected. And I think this is kind of a depiction of that in a child-friendly way. He's like, I don't feel anything. Maybe if I go make out with all these girls, I'll feel something and it will be a good feeling. I, when I was watching it, I, I didn't, I, I guess I thought about some of that, but I was really, when, when I had heard that discussed in that way, I was like, oh, wow, no, that's totally, that definitely makes sense. And at the end, it's so funny because the flower on his the 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 bee that's following him around breezy becomes a queen for him she like gives away her autonomy not for finn but for the flower and her love for this flower mm-hmm. and the end of the episode the flower it's implied that the flower causes finn to explode a tree arm <laughs> so it can get away from him and go to Breezy. Yes. Yeah, it, it's it's really beautiful, actually. And then for a period of time, Finn has an arm again. Um, He loses his arm again later, but that doesn't happen in seasons five and six. I don't remember how. He has an arm again, though, for a while. It magically regrows, but it's not permanent. Um... So throughout season season six is weird. I'll say mm-hmm. I thought I thought it was a very weird season. Sure. Why? Why is that? Well, there's lots of space travel. Yes. So we get to see a lot of aliens. Very weird. Um, it really starts to investigate Bubblegum as a leader. It it has weird. I don't know. It kind of felt like weird pacing. To me as well. I think it's because it's so long. I kind of felt that a yeah. little bit with season five. But um, I don't know. It's hard for me to put my finger on why it feels like a weird season. It just does. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely like every 10 episodes we get something big and plot relevant that happens. and But like in between, it's just sort of like characterization and like Finn being sad and stuff. Maybe the longer um, Ward was away from the show, the more it changed. What's that? Sorry. Maybe the longer 
Ward was away from the show, the more it changed. Maybe, but like I said before, it's like he's not he's not showrunner anymore, but he's still actively involved. His name is in the credits of every episode, you know? So it's not like he just like completely walked away from it and didn't have influence anymore. So I don't know. Um, I think I just I think that the storytelling is maturing, like the as the characters are maturing. Because if you think about it, like, you know, at the beginning of the show, Finn is 12 or 13 years old. And it has this strong little boy energy, and it's almost like we're seeing the world from his perspective. And as he gets older and these very difficult things happen to him, we and his perspective matures, we begin to see the world in a more complex and darker way. That's true. We do start to get episodes like the one where Jake tells the story about laws and why they suck. Yeah, holy fuck, that's so good. I was like, wow, did they just, like, inject race into this without injecting race? Or not even, I guess, like, race, but also power at all, right? So there's an episode where the laws... This is also the episode with Kim Kilwan, who is taking some weird... Not... He... he, Kim Kilwan is Jake's son and he wants his father to live a real life. He actually believes his dad is directionless and is suffering because of it because Kim Kilwan's way of life is very regimented. I, I that's my take. That's also it. my interpretation. It's 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 a role reversal thing where Kim Kilwan is being like classic successful businessman dad who thinks that because his dad doesn't live life in that same way means that he's not living life the right way and must be suffering somehow because of it. And so he tries to force him into it by through manipulation. So he buys the treehouse and rents it all out and he rents it like rents the ladder to Finn and Jake and he's and, you know, cuts off any other way they have of getting money to try and buy the treehouse back or pay their rent and uh, is trying to force him to get a job and all this kind of things because he says his dad lives the life of a child. But by the end of it, he kind of comes to understand that he's like, no, he's fine. He's just, he's living life in a different way from me. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad. He doesn't have to live life in the same way as me, you know? But in that episode, Kim Kilwan acquires the deed to the treehouse from Marceline, which, mm-hmm. like, shit move. Yeah. Vampire what, like, queen. Like, no fuck you. Um, yeah. Not the first time that I've ever thought that about her, nor <laughs> will it probably be the last. But... Yeah. So he kicks them... Well, okay, so he says... You guys are now going to live on the ladder Mm -hmm. from the first to the second story. That is now your apartment and like 30 other people are going to live there. So Jake, they, they, they get arrested because they use their bathroom. And so Jake describes to Finn, it's like, well, Finn is like, why are the laws making it hard for down to earth people like us to live? And Jake is like, well... The world used to be powerful and weak people and the powerful people took everything they wanted and when they were finished, they drew a line around their stuff in the way they wanted it and they called it the law. And I was and like, they said, this is fair now. And I, and I was like, what? <laughs> what? Yeah, exactly. And I'm, you're like, 
Yeah, that's exa- that's some straight up like Hobbesian shit, you know, that <laughs> he's just like describing. And you're like, it's like, that's some that's some real political analysis right there, you know, in Adventure Time. Um, They also start these. I mean, they talk about exploitation, sentimentality, darker sides of romance, um, bad parental relationships. Not that they haven't done that before, but like it Finn's dad is a shithead. He's the fucking worst. He's the worst. He's the fucking worst. Um, mm-hmm. They start dealing with like political, the the uh, the tyranny of the masses. A little bit there with bubblegum at the end. Oh yeah, with the they have like at the at the end there's an election, a barely legal election in which uh, King of Ooh is elected new princess of the Candy Kingdom, even though he's like a grifter and a piece of shit. And so uh, Princess Bubblegum ends up like going out to the country to live in this cabin that she used to live in on the shores of Lake Butterscotch. And like things get fucked up like immediately, (laughs) immediately. So that's great because the candy people are stupid and she's like, fuck it. You're a dillweed. You're a dillweed. You're a dillweed. Finn's like, yeah. what's a dillweed? <laughs> she just ignores it. She doesn't answer the question. <laughs> I, I think the funniest statement she makes is that the candy people are mercurial, but they're not dillweeds. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, my God. Just the juxtaposition yeah. between the word mercurial and the word dillweed. Yeah, it's great. And yeah, so she's just like, fine, fuck it. Like, I'm not going to make everything like right again. I'm not going to constantly calm you guys from all of your crises. Like, fine, if you don't want to be in charge, I won't be in charge, you know, and she just kind of fails. But the thing is, this is also on the heels of throughout these two seasons, we're really examining, really examining her as a leader. And we find out that she has a an aggressive surveillance state where she is spying on literally everyone all the time someone calls her out on it and she's like i'm pb i spy on everybody and the person was like no no that's not okay it's flame princess she calls out and she bubblegum endangers the fire kingdom to get Access to weapons that the Fire Kingdom has but is not using to disable them. Think Which are about, also objects of religious significance. Think about that. That's some father fucking US shit going on right there. Yeah, like, it's so fucked up. Like she buys on she she does like international espionage. She lies to and manipulates a fellow ruler and then gets her hands on and destroys weapons that they are not using that flame princess says she does not want to use. And that are also objects of religious significance that provide the only fail safe for the fire kingdom. If there is an ecological disaster. That episode is immediately followed up with a fun slumber party episode that makes you like bubble gum again. But yeah, that episode, I was just like, Jesus fucking Christ, bubblegum. That episode makes you fucking hate her. And it also makes you love Flame Princess anymore because Flame, Flame Princess is a really good ruler. 
actually. She's like at this point usurped her father and is in charge of the Flame Kingdom and she's doing like a really good job and is like a kind and understanding and competent ruler who is very strong without doing any of the fucked up shit that PB does. And like at the end of that episode, you do see Princess Bubblecum unplug her surveillance apparatus. So the indication is that like she's taken what Flame Princess said to heart, you know, she, about she, not surveilling people. But point, still, dude. The point was that she she thoroughly believes that she she says what I'm doing is right. Like what I'm doing is good. I need you to believe that. So Bubblegum does she doesn't do it in the same way that a cynical tyrant would. Like, she really believes that she's doing the right thing. Um, you can argue whether that's better or worse, but she, she, it is because she believes she's doing the right thing that Fire Princess, I think, is able to change her. Yeah, and I think it's also something that becomes revealed when when she does this and when you find out about you know, what happened when Flame Princess was a baby and things like that is that her threat analysis is really out of whack. She's like hyper vigilant. And so anything that could potentially be a threat at all, no matter the likelihood of it actually becoming a threat, she needs to deal with it immediately and bring it under like subjugation or neutralize it in some way as quickly as possible. And that's something that also... In the next few seasons, as we learn more about her, will begin to make more sense. But it still makes her someone like Flame Princess is very suspicious of her, as is Cinnamon Bun of his own like volition. That episode where Cinnamon Bun basically follows around Flame Princess is one of the best episodes of that season. It's so good. Because Cinnamon Bun is like, the princess is really devious. And you're just like, Jesus, Cinnamon Bun. He's smarter than we thought he was. And Cinnamon McGumbun becomes a great character. And Tim and Flame Princess basically become best bros. Like, he goes to live in the Flame Kingdom with her and is her, like, loyal knight from then on. He's basically her consort. Let's call it like we should. I don't know. I don't ever get the impression that, like, Flame Princess has any romantic feelings towards Cinnamon Bun. Fair enough. But I... I thought I remember the word consort being used. I don't know. I don't remember that being used. I would say that probably cinnamon bun would be like an ideal of courtly love, you know, where he is like by her side and a loyal knight and protector who like looks out for her emotions and like has a has love for her, but that it the love is entirely chaste. You know, he's her champion, right? Yeah. It's it's an ideal of courtly love. Um so let's all right, so in season six, the big conflict that gets set up is a comet heading yes. towards Ool. The catalyst comet that brings change. Sounds very astrology y. To me. Yes, it does. And a couple of things. Number one, we find out that Gunter, 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 mm-hmm. number one, the comet has been around for a long time. Number two, 
Gunter is a celestial horror trapped <laughs> in the body of a penguin. I also like to think it's a callback to season one when Hunson Abadir was sucking all the souls and he was talking to Gunter and he was like, you are the most evil and dark creature I've ever encountered. Please give me your soul. And then Gunter like slaps Hunson Abadir in the face and he doesn't collect his soul. <laughs> you know, that's like coming back into play. Um, Number, so... And he gets conked on the head and the celestial entity's memories start to leak out and cause Gunter to do bad things. Um, Mm -hmm. Finn's dad makes numerous reappearances. He crashes on Earth randomly one time and exploits a local population to fix his spaceship. Um, A very tiny, cute people. Finn is maturing... I mean, ultimately, Bubblegum is deposed. Yeah, I would say, like, we we have some interesting stuff kind of happening in the background that we learn. Um, Sweet Pea shows signs not of being super... the lich. What was that? Sweet Pea shows lichness. Yes, Sweet Pea. It's really interesting because... He's like sweet and a baby and everything, but he's having all of these like very dark dreams that are lich-esque and, but they're just dreams. And then he gets taken advantage of by King of Ooh in Toronto. And when they're basically like, we're going to burn your house down, the lich like comes out and he's like, before the beginning of time, there was nothing. And before there was nothing, there were monsters. And he just like scares the ever-loving shit out of King of Ooh in Toronto so they don't burn down his house. And then the lich just goes back inside and Sweet Pea's like, guess it was just another dream. No. Yeah, it's like, it, it, it's it's weird. And like more stuff happens with that later that's really cool. But yeah, it's like, okay, he's the sweet baby man, but he still was the lich once, you know? Don't forget. Uh. Um. I also think there's so a couple of episodes that seem kind of one-off-y but have important information in them. The first is an episode where we go millions of years back in time to a previous arrival of the Catalyst Comet. And we learn that there were four elementals. The elements are ice, fire, candy, and slime. Uh, who are like reincarnated over and over again. And one of them, the ice guy, is named Master Evergreen, and he's a real asshole to a dinosaur boy assistant that he has. And he, this time, Master Evergreen wants to stop the Catalyst Comet from arriving because he believes that this time it will be different, that it It, aches for their destruction, and that it has to be stopped. It does have lich horns. Huh? That comet that they show has lich horns. Oh, does it? Yes. Oh, I didn't notice that. It definitely does. There are two tendrils that come off of it that resemble the lich's horns. Yeah, and also, like, the implication is, like, that particular iteration of the Catalyst comet is what killed the dinosaurs, you know? So, like, he was right. It was, like, more destruction than usual, right? Um, 
so like what he does is he creates a crown uh using wish magic that will uh grant its wearer their one true wish in their heart and through a variety of mishaps his abused and put upon dinosaur boy assistant gunther who wants nothing more than to be like master evergreen evergreen and learn magic is the one who puts it on and he does not that his heart's truest wish is not to stop the comment and he begins immediately like losing his mind like his body transforming into something more similar to master evergreens shooting ice everywhere screaming gunther no gunther no and then we cut and it's just ice king sleep jumping on the bed screaming gunther no and you're like holy shit (laughs) that is a long history and a sad history for the ice king's crown i i that's my feeling when i saw it i was like i know the dinosaur boy is very sad (laughs) makes me sad um so then there are a couple of other ice king related things which is at some point the crown crown gets broken and (gasps) betty He's no longer insane, but the magic is no longer keeping him alive. So he's Simon again, and he's rapidly aging, and he, like, opens a portal through time to talk to Betty, and she hops through it because she wants to and be with Simon. And so what ends up happening is she fixes the crown, which makes him live again, but still insane, and she's on this whole big, long mission to be able to modify the crown so it can keep him alive but not make him insane. And when we next see her, she's working with Magic Man, and she's identified a cycle of madness, sadness, and magic shared by all magic users, and she wants to tap into it. So she's, like, doing some kind of transfer thing with Magic Man, and what ends up happening is all of her magic goes to her, so she's now Magic Woman and is insane, and Magic Man is just Normal Man now. Who is very apologetic. Yeah, he's nice now. Like, now that he's Normal Man. Also, um, a previous episode where the comet was thought to be heading to Mars. Yes, oh my god. Glob, Glob Grod. Grob God. God Grob oh, God. Oh no, it's Glob Gob Grod Grob. So their god mm-hmm. fucking blows himself up to shift the course yeah. of the comet. And it turns out that wasn't even the fucking comet. It was Finn's dad's spaceship. Oh. Uh, Finn's dad is the worst. He's the worst person. Yeah. Yeah, he just sucks so fucking bad. Yeah, and, like, Finn experiences this through um, lucid dreaming, where he's, like, in the astral plane, and he wakes up and he's like, Glob is dead, which is a great line. It always gets me. It, I, I I burst out laughing, partially because I expected, like, a, like a Nietzschean god is dead. Yeah. Sort of thing. Um, so mm-hmm. Glob dies... Mars is now without a deity or figurehead, right? <laughs> Abraham Lincoln is dead. And so is Glob. 
so that happens. Yeah. Also, we learn about Magic Man's history that um, he had a wife named Margols who was taken by Golb. And that isn't further explained, but we see Golb and he is an eldritch horror. And we also see Golb one other time. We just like see him and he's not discussed. So that's like, what's Golb? Nothing good. So that gets thrown out there. Um, but I think that's really all of the big plot stuff from seasons five and six. We see Golb when Finn is dying from Pillow World and coming back to regular world. Yes, that's when we see Golb. Yeah. Which suggests uh, that Finn wasn't having a dream that actually happened. Yeah, that actually really happened. He went into another dimension and lived an entire life with a wife and children and everything. And he also lost his arm somehow in Pillow World and had a mechanical pillow arm. And that was another arm loss foreshadowing. But, but yeah, I mean, I think a lot happens, but we get a lot of new characters introduced we get uh, more lemon grab episode. Okay, the lemon grab saga on its own oh is God. very fun. Oh, it's so disturbing. Okay, so last we left off, the lemon grabs were creating candy life. Mm, the children have no food for which they starve. The children are whom the children starve. And so the, the lemon grabs are trying to, there's like, I figured out I'm a guy who likes to create candy life. <laughs> um, so they create their kingdom and, and Lemon John sacrifices himself to feed them. Um, that's a great episode. Oh, yes. it's one of my, it's one of the best. One of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Later, we return to their situation, and the, how should we say, the situation has deteriorated a lot. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Significantly. (laughs) Okay, so the next time we show up, Lemon Grab, the black, the original Lemon Grab is corpulent. He has eaten much of second Lemon Grab's body. And he's basically gorging himself on all the kingdom's food while everyone else starves. Yes. So we've got this weird, like, he's strengthening, the the white lemon grab is weakening, and their kingdom is under a tyran- like an extra tyrannical rule. Okay. Yeah. Um and that's where Lemon Hope comes in. Ah, Lemon Hope. Lemon Hope. Poor little Lemon Hope. Throw me a lemon rope. <laughs> He's basically um somebody that the the people create that the lemon grabs created that mm-hmm. is an actual good individual. Well, they have the potential to be a normal good heroic person. And yes, he plays beautiful harp music, which, of course, the lemon grabs hate because they (laughs) hate beautiful things. Mm -hmm. Basically, Princess Bubblegum is like, oh, wow, you're good. And so she she eventually gets 
Lemon Hope to escape. And the white lemon grab gets eaten <laughs> by Lemon Grab. And Lemon Hope has to be like a, a hero in exile sort of thing. And yeah. then he I'm comes trying to remember like the episode that begins with um Princess Bubblegum showing Lemon Hope the propaganda tape from uh the earldom of Lemon Grab. Yes. And the propaganda tape is so funny. I can't remember the name of the propaganda tape because it's it's hilarious and I can't remember it off the top of my head. I can't either, unfortunately. But when I saw that video, I, I it was very because it was very like traditional propaganda. Everything is fine here in Lemon in the Earldom of Lemon Grab. Mm-hmm. And it's clearly not. Like they're clearly like just like whipping people and stuff. <laughs> um but basically in that, like lemon like lemon hope is still a lemon person. So he's like I don't really care about this. Like, I don't want to, like, go back and liberate my people. I don't give a shit. So he just goes off on his own and is, like, living his life. But he has some bad experiences and encounters some bad things. And he's constantly bothered by the idea of the lemon people um, and how he didn't do anything to help them. So basically he goes back and he does liberate them and PB's like, amazing. I'm so glad that you're home, Lemon Hope, like, and that you can stay here now and help to to rule the earldom of Lemon Grab. And he's like, no, I don't want to. I only came here and did this so I could stop like feeling bad and thinking about this all the time. I like being free and I'm going to leave and I'm going to wander the earth. <laughs> and he does. And he does. Um. Right, so what else? We've got really a, a stunning lack of Lady Rainicorn. Yeah, like she's just like doesn't do much, like except for be around and be a mom for a couple of seasons there. Like, I don't know what the deal, but she just doesn't. You not know? a, not a, there, there are the, like the, there are a couple of Simon episodes, but I don't know. Marceline kind of takes a back seat too. Yeah. Except for that really good episode with her and uh, Bubblegum, where they go to get Hambo back from Maja. That is a really good episode. Um, yeah. It, possibly one of my favorite episodes um, because we get to see Bubblegum and Marceline interact with each other on their own without anybody else around. Dude. And like how Bubblegum acts around basically the only person in the world that she considers to be her peer. And, and it is different. Dude. Um, PB, and also. PB got that romantic person scent shirt sniff thing going on. Yes, yes, exactly. PB, PB wears the shirt that Marsley gave her to bed, and she wakes up, and the first thing she does is take the shirt, rub her nose in the shirt, and breathe deeply. And I'm like, yeah. boy, that is like, mm, you just like slept with someone, and you like their smell, and you're going to get some of their smell when you wake up. Shit. Yeah, and then like she wears that shirt that whole day, like under her sweater, 
And the way that she gets Hambo back from Maja is that she trades Hambo for the t-shirt and Maja says that the t-shirt has like 50 times the sentimental affection on it that Hambo did. And so it's better. Um, and she doesn't tell anybody that that's what she did, but it's like, mm, that's saying something. There's a lot of sentimental affection on Hambo. I, yeah, I was about to say Hambo, like more sentimentality than a, than a companion of a lost girl in a dead world. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I, I was like, damn, that sure doesn't show. Yeah, I I mean, but that's the thing is that, like, Bubblegum became cold. Like, that's the thing I think that, like, Marceline and Bubblegum are both incredibly old, and it's affected them both in different ways. Like, I think that they both have the instinct to be nice people and good people, but... A thousand years of life has has warped them, and in Marceline's case, it's made her uh, sort of prickly and quick to anger, and she protects herself with this sort of like cool girl exterior. Whereas Bubblegum continues to be like nice and kind to everyone she meets, but she's actually very cold and calculating and cynical. And keeps all of her true feelings buried very deeply inside and, like, is prepared to neutralize any threat in order to protect herself. She's how, like, we teach sometimes people with certain personality disorders. You're just <laughs> like, I, I, okay, I, I'm not kidding. Like, sometimes, no, no. sometimes you're just like, we're going to teach you how to be good. We know that you don't care about being good, but if you act this way life will be easier for you. So they have the instinct to act in a certain way that we consider kind. But there's none of that motivation behind it other than, you know, life will be easier for you if you do this. Yeah, absolutely. But that's the thing is like, she does have like real love and feeling for people. It's just that she keeps it so deep because in a thousand years, so many things have gone wrong for her, you know? Yes. Yeah. So she's definitely not lacking those things. They're just covered in, you know, dirt. Yeah. Layers and layers of cynicism. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, motherfucking James. Oh, my God, James. Um. You, I'll let you describe James. Okay, so there's this episode where Princess Bubblegum, Jake, Finn, and some kind of cream sandwich fellow named James that we've never met before go to, like, the bottom of a ravine to collect samples, and then toxic creatures from another time crawl up out of the ground and trap them all inside of their spaceship and basically in order for them to escape someone has to uh eat the big one as they say and james is the one who does it he sacrifices himself so that the all the rest of them can live but then she clones a new james and gives him a medal 
And then a while later, we have another episode with James where, like, we open the episode and PB's standing next to a stream and he's like, PB, loose gravel! And, like, throws himself into the river and sacrifices himself to save her. And apparently he's done this 25 times. (laughs) He has found a reason to sacrifice himself to save her 25 times. And she keeps recreating him and giving him medals. But then it turns out... That he did not actually die any of those times. He just liked getting the medals and a new James to hang out with. So eventually the toxic creatures attack the Candy Kingdom. And James actually does sacrifice himself to stop his toxic original. These toxic creatures, by the way, are the same ones from the Marceline is a Kid episode. Yeah. So they're like mutants essentially from the great mushroom war and there are just some of them who are at the bottom of this pit for like a thousand years and they've become a problem again it's a crater yes you're right it's a crater yeah yeah so what so what the jameses do is just they all like dog pile on top of them (laughs) and they end up being like a multi james that's like sticking out like on all sides and like at the end of the episode pb's like james's uh i award you these medals for bravery and i have a new assignment for you go to the desert and never come back (laughs) and they leave and it's really funny yeah and pb's like ah i won't miss him (laughs) (laughs) that is the fucking best line Uh, it's so good because it's also like really would you (laughs) would you miss (laughs) oh man Um, oh my god there's a great episode with the cosmic owl who like is a 9 to 5 worker oh my god yeah that was uh, the window into the cosmic owl's life was incredible because he's just like this cosmic being that his job is just to go into dreams and make them real like a, a, a crystal gives him a coin that he puts into a dream and makes it real. Where does the coin come from? Who decides which dreams get to be prophetic? It's not addressed. All we know is that he no. he kind of is just like a middleman. Yeah, and he's like talking to Prismo at one point because like he meets a woman in the dream or whatever and Prismo's like, I don't think you were put in charge of prophetic dreams to get chicks. And it's like, who put him in charge of prophetic dreams? The, like what like we've got like middle management here, I guess, with Prismo and and Cosmic Owl. Like we see them hanging out all the time. So who's the manager? Who decided like who was in charge of what? Fun thing about that episode, the Cosmic Owl meets a beautiful lady in her dreams. That lady turns out to be Gunter, also named Ogblog. Orgalorg. Orgalorg, the cosmic horror. And Orgalorg unknowingly causes, they go into Princess Bubblegum's dream. And they, in the dream, Gunter, who we don't know is Gunter, makes the candy people turn against Bubblegum. And because the cosmic owl is in that dream, it comes true. Yes. Thus, Mm -hmm. the setup for the candy people electing the one king of Ooh. Yep. 
Uh, and basically, like, Orgalorg is also part of that camp. Like, Gunter Orgalorg is part of that campaign because what he wants to do is get a hold of Princess Bubblegum's spaceship so he can go into space and absorb the comet, absorb the Catalyst comet. So as so, we wrap up, not, not wrap up, but as we get into the later parts of the episode here, let's talk a little bit about that tour, that two episoder, because the first one is just the spaceship going up into space. The, the real action is the second episode where once outside of Earth's gravity, Orgoblorg retakes his giant full cosmic horror form. And Finn and Jake chase him and are up in space, in spacesuits. The rest of that episode is like something that I would expect to see in a, in a philosophy class on existentialism. Like, a yeah, kid it's was intense. like, I'm going to take this philosophy and I'm going to make a cartoon about it. Because <laughs> what happens is, is that the cosmic comet gets eaten by Orgolorg. But Finn s- goes inside and slashes Orgolorg with his new arm. You know, another new arm. Releasing the comet and def- defeating Orgolorg. The comet explodes. And I still don't know exactly what happens next. Because I just watched it. But the comet explodes and unleashes like something like a god the god i i don't really know but i do know that it essentially comes to finn and says like a bunch of shit i've seen everything that has happened i've lived innumerable times as a hero as a villain like it, it it really is hard it's like implying that it has lived in all dimensions as all things and it is going to offer Finn like the opportunity to transcend reality basically yeah it's essentially offering Finn Nirvana because it also calls back to another time where Finn, like when he opens his memory vault um, that we talked about last time, he's, he connects with his past lives and he mentions one of his past lives is that he was a comet. He was the Catalyst comet once. And essentially what the comet is saying, like, if you choose to do so, like, I can bring you to Nirvana. I can, I can free you from this world, you know, and it essentially says, like, so what's your choice to, to come with me to transcend reality and you know, live forever as a, as a new type of consciousness or to stay here and struggle a little while is, is it. And it lists, Um, are you willing to gain, like, are you ready to gain freedom from, and then it just lists a bunch of stuff and shows pictures of Finn's life. So it's like, I love it. Cause it's like a picture of the angry beaver, the foaming (laughs) at the mouth beaver for hate. Love, um, is, I can't remember who love is, but flame like princess. Yeah. Flame princess mothers, fathers, um, 
Like it, it basically lists like the experiences of a corporeal being. Yeah, and it just keeps going on, and some of them are profound, and some are ridiculous. And like at one point, Finn's like, "How long are you going to keep listing things?" And the comments like, "It's a long list." Uh, And Finn's like, "I, you know, I've put a lot of time into this place. I think I'm going to stick around a while longer." The shitty part is that Finn's dad gets to make that decision. Yeah, and it's kind of like he's like, I'm comment. cool with doing that. And the comment's like, yeah, okay. It's like, what the fuck? Uh, talk about. I feel like that really just encapsulates technically the idea that transcendence is amoral. Yeah, yeah. Also, what's interesting about Finn's dad, without giving away too much, um, especially because you haven't watched the last couple of seasons, is uh, we eventually learn that Finn's dad may be the way that he is due to significant head trauma. Like, some messed up stuff happened. It might um, not be that he's just a bad person. Okay. Okay. That that certainly would qualify some of what's happening. Yeah, Definitely. Yeah, so that's kind of the wrap up to season six as well, is that like, um, like, Finn's dad transcends reality, Finn and Jake are both alive and come back down to ooh, Orgalorg falls back into the gravity of Earth and becomes Gunter again, King of ooh is still princess of the Candy Kingdom, and Princess Bubblegum is living in the country, um, Finn has a physical arm that's also, like, manifested that the grass sword is still involved in some way and can, like, come out sometimes. And that's kind of where, like, Betty now has magic, Magic Man doesn't. Those are, are, like, the important things of where we stand at the end of season six. What a show, people. I know. And just like also like we had to just kind of like run through things pretty quickly and stick more to the broad strokes of it because these seasons are so long and there's so much stuff in them. And there's so much like there's so many like ensemble type episodes like BMO has a whole episode where we like learn where BMO came from you know like so much is happening and we see so many different characters get paired off and explore their relationships and people gain emotional maturity and have difficult experiences there just is an insane amount of stuff happening in seasons five and six i can't wait to see where it goes next yeah i mean it's really good i think For me, seasons seven and eight are still, they're like both 36 episodes, I believe. And the pacing is a little, um, a little slower, but more and more stuff gets like more and more like, okay, backstory. So you understand people's actions, more stuff getting moved into place for endgame. And then once you get into seasons nine and 10, it's just, you're just kind of like barreling towards the finish at top speed. Oh wow! So after this, we we dash to the end. 
Well, I don't think we dashed to the end in seasons seven and eight, really, but in nine and ten, yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm ready. I'm kind of ready. After watching so much Adventure Time, I'm kind of ready. Yeah, for sure. I mean, seasons seven and eight are incredible, and seasons nine and ten are really interesting. And I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on them because you haven't watched it before. I know. I'm excited, too. I'm excited, too. Um, All righty. I think that's a really good place for us to wrap up. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, I've said everything I wanted to say. Um, As we mentioned before, the next episode will be on season seven and eight. So if you've been watching along, that's what you're going to want to watch to be prepared for the next episode. Uh, And we hope that you will continue to join us through this through this journey i have been chris and i've been Paige. and this has been animates as always um you can reach us on social media our facebook is animates podcast our twitter is at animates and our gmail address is animates with the numeral eight instead of the letters a t if you want to talk with us, ask burning questions, make suggestions, share things with us, or, you know, just chat, please feel free to reach out to us. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast because it helps other people find the show. And as always, thanks for listening.